Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. The physician assisting concept is no longer exclusive to the United States. American PAs have been involved in pilot programs in Canada, Australia, Scotland, the Netherlands, and England. Many countries are using the PA model of care, and many more have shown interest in developing a medical model similar to the PA concept to provide an efficient delivery of medical care. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Dr. William Fenn, Speaker of the House of Delegates and Vice President of the American Academy of Physician Assistants. Today we're discussing the international growth of the physician assistant profession. Hi, Bill. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. Bill, the roots of the PA profession are very deep. Tell us about the predecessors to the U.S. PA model. Well, there are a lot of predecessors, depending on how you want to define the analogs that come before us. Probably the most commonly referred to predecessor is the Feldscher, which is now located in what is now Russia, but has its origin going back before modern Germany into the armies of Prussia and Switzerland back in the 14th and 15th centuries. The word Feldscher actually comes from Feld or Field, and Scherer, or Shearer, so it's a similar history to the barber surgeons in England. These were individuals trained to take on the skill duties of physicians, in this particular case, surgical physicians or surgeons, in the absence of physicians. The Russians in the mid to late 1800s then adopted that model, not so much in the military sense, but in the civilian sense, that use of felchers has continued in one way or another to this day in various parts of Russia and the uh, former Commonwealth states. China, going back into the middle of the 20th century, has had physician extenders, and I use that with small case letters, referred to variously or transliterated as either the barefoot doctor or country doctor, uh, and these are really non-physician providers providing care in underserved areas services that were previously performed only by physicians. If you go back speculatively, you can actually go back uh, into the time of Alexander the Great's son, who pioneered the use of assistant medical officers in some of the Macedonian Wars, the Royal Navy, and Loblolly Boys. There weren't a lot of uh, physician services to extend in those days, but to the extent that there were physician services, it could be provided by Loblolly Boys, a really big difference between Loblolly Boys and today is that Loblolly Boys were not a voluntary profession. They were part of the press gang history from the bar. So I think we've come a little ways from that. It sounds like it. I know the developer of the MedEx concept, Dr. Richard Smith, had developed efficient health care delivery systems in several countries prior to settling in the Northwest. Are those systems still operating today? Lisa, I'm not right now sure if the systems per se are still operating. I can tell you that MedEx trained individuals are still present in a number of the countries that uh, Dr. Smith and his consulting group, the MedEx group, worked with in the uh, early 60s and beyond. I believe it was last year that Dr. Smith was invited to a reunion of some of those MedEx or medics-trained individuals. I think that was in Guyana, but I wasn't able to double-check the exact location 
in time for this show. You can still go to some countries in Southeast Asia and South America and find individuals with literally a shingle hung outside with their name followed by the initials MX, the abbreviation for MedX. Well, the PA profession has come a long way, and it's growing well beyond the U.S. border. It sounds like the United States just formalized the PA profession, but it certainly doesn't belong to us based on what you're saying to us. But there are many other countries developing something similar to our model. Although it's been successful here, many people have come to us for advice. And is it practical to package up our PA model and send it to other countries to replicate? Well, that's a great question. It really isn't practical uh, or sustainable to have just a package that we can export to other countries. You're quite right that other countries have looked at differing models. Some of the East African countries under British tutelage in the 60s developed very specialized PA-like models that sort of went off on their own. But our efforts, and to my knowledge, there's never been any organized efforts to actually package something and hand it over, I have not been met with success, and that's because it's more trying to put a rectangle into a square hole. The education models, the delivery models are different between the U.S. and other countries, and while we all have something to learn from each other, while there are commonalities, there are differences. Dr. Smith talked very much about the receptive framework, and he referred to that not only in the U.S. in passing enabling legislation, but that was for other countries as well, that you have to look at the needs, you have to look at the resources, you have to engage the people on the ground, whether that's the difference between North Dakota and South Carolina or the U.S. and another country, to make sure that things actually fit. The phrase that I've tended to use, and, and I honestly don't know if it's something that I picked up over the years from Dr. Smith, is adapt, not adopt. And that seems to work fairly well. Well, as the PA concept grows internationally, I I have to ask, what defines a PA? Well, that really is at the core of some of the discussions and some of the both opportunities and obstacles to moving forward. We have our own definition of PA in the United States, but that is just our definition. And we continue to have dialogue across the borders, across institutions. One definition might be a trained health professional working in association with physicians to provide autonomous decision-making medical services previously done only by physicians. Now, that's a little bit wordy, but we're trying to make sure that we're not talking about just anybody that that provides delegated tasks, that there is a decision-making process and an autonomy there. One of the things that that's been criticized for, that phrase, is it doesn't use the word supervision. We're not in the least trying to get away from that. What we have found, though, is that the cultural definition of the word supervision varies so tremendously from country to country. In some countries, the word supervision, if emphasized too much, actually uh, tends to sound like there's a competence question. So I want to emphasize that's the only reason that that word isn't in there specifically. We're certainly not trying to avoid our current model of PA physician teamwork. How involved is the U.S. in the development of the international programs? And when we're assisting them, are we passing on the things that perhaps we would like to change or things that didn't work in our profession that uh, we could give them that advice moving forward? Well, I think that's an exactly uh, precise way to say that, Lisa. One of the things that uh, I've tried to do when I've been asked is to tell people the biggest thing that you can learn from our experience 
is not so much our successes, but our mistakes. We can perhaps save you development time. Our successes may be a little bit different in different countries. There's probably not a reason to reinvent the wheel and reprove the concept, but uh, learning from where we might have gone up a blind alley, where we did something that sounded like a really good idea, turned out to be problematic, I think is somewhere that we can really shave off development time. We are not, and when I say we, I'm talking as an organization, the AAPA, and hopefully the profession as a whole, we are not trying to export this concept. We are instead willing to assist other countries in importing it if they wish, and I think that's an important distinction. There are countries that have no perceived need, whether we agree with that or not, that's up to them. But just as the PA profession didn't develop in the United States until a need prompted it, some countries uh, don't see that need right now. So for us to try to export and say, here, take this, would be the height of American arrogance. So we are a little bit on the passive side in that we provide assistance when asked, not on our own initiative and solicitation. So let's talk about some of the countries, some of the ones that have asked, and and I know that you've had some experience uh, working with some of these countries, and let's talk about some of the countries that are looking and just doing some soft inquiries right now. Sure. Well, some of the countries that I've been involved with and have gotten a fair amount of press are in the group led by England, the United Kingdom, the historic British Commonwealth. And I know when I first started working there, a number of people asked me, why on earth are you working with a developed nation? To There are underdeveloped nations that have needs that would be better. And my personal rationale for going to those countries, going to the United Kingdom, was just what we talked about before in terms of adaptation. In some of the underdeveloped nations, the resources are really not there to do a complete adaptation. And whether we like it or not throughout the world, the delivery models and education models are much more analogous to European systems than they are to the U.S. systems. So it was my idea that by working with countries like the U.K., eventually the Netherlands, that wasn't my idea, but all those countries to do the adaptation in a relatively resource-rich environment, then the adaptation downstream to the underdeveloped nations with more similar systems would be easier. I know Canada has done really well with the model, and it seems to be very similar to the U.S. model. Is that what you're referring to? Canada's is much more similar than any other model, and some of that is because of their geographic proximity. Some of it is because their history of evolution started in the military. Ours didn't exactly start in the military. We have our roots in the military, but uh, they've had uh, PAs for roughly a quarter of a century in uniform. And as they have progressed and looked across the border at the U.S., we've been able to work with them very closely. Their profession is not identical to ours. Their licensure or registration, their training is very similar, but there are different entry points. So they are recognizing, again, based on their perceived need, we have these trained individuals and we have these huge spaces with limited medical resources. Why don't we deploy some of those outside of the uniform and into the civilian world? Well, and there were pilot programs in Australia, Scotland, and I recently listened to them talk, and it sounds like they really want to put forth a a PA model in their countries. What are some of the limitations keeping them from moving forward? Well, I think the limitation in any country looking at this, there are some that are very similar to ours and that there are politics involved. And that's politics, whether you're talking the literal sense, getting enabling legislation, convincing politicians, 
There are politics that have to be considered in setting up the receptive framework amongst other health professionals, making sure that this is not a replacement for physicians but complementary profession to physicians and engaging all those stakeholders. That's not so much different than uh, what we've had for the 40 years in this country, although the specifics are different. And what's the AAPA's position on all of this? Well, we hear that a lot, and we hear it on all sides of the fence. What's your position? Should you have a position? And we don't really have a position on development. Again, we don't go out and try to export things, but we're happy to be a consultative, collaborative partner. In terms of formal policies, we continue to have policies adopted many years ago that talk about licensure eligibility for any internationally trained PAs. And these policies were developed long before any of the programs we're talking about were reality. We also have guidelines for American PAs working internationally. And again, those policies were designed more for PAs going to countries that weren't exploring the PA concept, but still they try to provide a certain degree of guidance to the American PA working overseas, whether that's on a volunteer basis or one of these pilot programs. So where do we go from here? I think in some ways we don't have to do anything more. I'm not trying to suggest that we don't do anything. I think we've gotten this train started out of the station, and we need to see where it goes. I think there's great opportunity for exchanges at the training institution level. I think there's great opportunity for cross-border learning across the professional organizations, especially as the other countries' organizations become more and more mature. I think we can start working on that $64,000 question you asked earlier of trying to come up with a fairly universal definition of what a PA or PA analog is. We have to be a little careful on that because politically, in many countries, certainly including the U.S., that could be seen as a move for reciprocity, and I'm not sure that we're anywhere near making any types of decisions or considerations on that. But it still would be helpful to have that core definition so everybody knows who to work with as opposed to who not to work with. Well, as a PA, I've been watching this with a sense of excitement, and I look forward to seeing where the PA profession moves next. And we thank you, Bill, for coming on the show. It is exciting, Lisa. Thank you for taking the time to put this project together for your show. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio today.